You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. What's up, Resonate? Good to see you guys. Uh, as said, we were going into this series called Confident. And uh, as we established last week, we're not talking about just um, are you confident or how to kind of pump you up and this like a self-help talk. What we're talking about is something that's, that's more significant than that. And I believe that everybody's looking to put their confidence in something, to put their hope in something, to put their trust in something. And the question is, what is that? And as we begin to get under the, you know, under the kind of hood of your life and be able to figure out what is it that you're actually putting your confidence in, what we're doing is we're turning our eyes and beginning to say, hey, is this Jesus, uh, is this God of the universe worth putting our confidence in? And and really, how does that work? What's the mechanics of that? Because when we begin to look at this, here's what I want you to get, that when we begin to peer into the Bible, the kind of person that God is building, and I want you to get that God is truly building something in your life. God is at work trying to build your faith. But what happens in that is that what God creates is something that is absolutely extraordinary and and something that is driven towards something. And our church, Resonate, is, is driven by a vision and driven by an extraordinary vision, and that we believe that God wants to do something very significant, but what we believe is this, that God is going to do that through the faith of extraordinary people. And so we're in this series, and we're saying, how does it, what does it look like to have extraordinary faith? How does it look like for you to be, to have your life founded on something that is unshakable, for you to be this kind of person that is tethered to this deep inner strength, that is deeply connected, that is full of joy and full of purpose, and that's what we're pointing towards. And so I hope that you lean into this because this has everything to do about really the kind of person that you become and really how you begin to navigate life. And there's a difference between, the, between people who put their hope and their trust in stuff and that erodes and that gets washed away and, and people who found their hope and their confidence in something that leads them to an extraordinary life. And I believe that all we have to do is look into the Bible and what we see is the recipe for living an extraordinary life. And so I hope that that's what you want. I, I hope that that's deeply what, what, what moves you to be able to say, it's not just about your pleasure. It's not just about overcoming the pressures of this world, but being able to say, hey, what does it look like to do something that's actually meaningful in the world? And so last week we started off by asking the question, really, what is our faith founded on? And, and begin to say that there's two different things. One is we have a faith that's founded upon our circumstances, or more specifically, our ability to interpret our circumstances and connect that to God. And sometimes we're really good at that, but oftentimes we're really not because it seems like sometimes if God doesn't show up in the way we thought, we begin to have this erosion of faith because we begin to chase after the pleasures and the pressures of this world. And that begins to take and shake up our faith. And when we begin to look at this, we begin to realize that our faith must be founded on or leaned up against something that will not move because there's gonna be a moment in your life where the pressures or the pleasures of this world begin to press into you. And really what happens is your faith built upon something that's not going to move. Is your faith founded on something that will not be shaken? And so what we say is this, you cannot put your faith in an experience or an answered prayer 
our faith has to be founded on a person. And we found that faith on the person of Jesus Christ. And we look back at why we do this. And it's not because we just have a belief system that helps us to make sense of the world, but truly because something happened. And that something happened was that Jesus came into this world, he died, and he was resurrected from the dead. And that something that happened transformed lives. It transformed people. And we look back, and even if we say, I'm not sure about the historical event of the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we look back and we can have confidence and know that there was people that did. And what those people did was radically change the world. And this is how God works. And so I want to get into this today. As As we look into this, and as we see this, and as we continue to press in and say, how do we begin to understand our faith? And what is the recipe for you to have an uncommon, extraordinary faith that leads you to an uncommon, extraordinary life that is different from this world, that is riddled with insecurity and lack of clarity, but you can begin to say, hey, my life is significantly different. And there's a massive thing standing in the way of that, and that's what we're going to get into today. When I was growing up, um, I was obsessed with go-karts. I, I know that those two statements that I just said back-to-back seemingly are strange, but let me tie them together. I was obsessed with go-karts. Um, I was just, um, I was that kid who, uh, who was every, like I was just trying to figure out how do I get a go-kart? And all of my friends had go-karts. All of my friends, except for one friend, um, and, and they had like dirt bikes or go-karts or all these things. And as I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, I was like, man, how is it that I just get more go-kart time in my life, you know? And, and I was like, hey, let's hang out at your house. Um, how's your, is your go-kart running? You know, that kind of kid trying to figure out, hey, let's, let's strike up a relationship. Let's form, let's, let's have a friendship. And, and, and do you still have that go-kart? You know, that's kind of this way that, that I operated. And I was always trying to figure out how to, how to enjoy this thing. And I was always asking my dad. I was always saying, hey, can we get a go-kart? And it was just like this on repeat. And if you'd ask my dad, he's like, I don't know how many times I had to answer that question on, can I get a go-kart? I would weave it into all kinds of stuff. It would be like time for us to leave uh, the, you know, dinner. And I would be, can I, can I, may I be excused? Yes, may I have a go-kart? No. Okay, so I was just trying to sneak that in. If you said yes to both, we could you know, say, hey, Dad, you said this is what you're going to do. How's your day, Keith? Uh, it's going well. It's good to be better if I had a go-kart. You know, that's just kind of the way that I would operate, and it was just in, in everything. Like, it was just, it was probably an unhealthy fixation, but it was like, this is what my mind was like. It was like so significant. This is, it was such a, I know this is a strange thing. It was so significant that later on in life, uh, you know, when I got a little older and began to deal with like lustful thoughts, um, I began to say, hey, I need to something to be compelling to be able to like avert my mind so I can think about something else, right? And so I began to think about go-karts. I know, strange, maybe too much information. Um, but uh, I told my wife one time this, and I was like, hey, when I was younger, in order to uh, avoid lustful thoughts, I began to think about go-karts. And it was kind of like my, my default thing. I would just begin to say, okay, go-karts, 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 right? And, um, and my wife said, that is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Um, and, uh, and so now if I ever travel and I have to stay in a hotel my, by, by myself, my wife is always there to say, hey, remember go-karts, you know? Uh, so that's like this context. And I, I need you to understand how many times I asked my dad. And the answer was always unequivocally, no, Keith, we're not going to do that. I don't want to have a go-kart. We don't have any land for a go-kart like all of your other friends. We, we, I don't want to fix a go-kart. We don't have any space in the garage for a go-kart. We're not going to get a go-kart. No, 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 no. Now, I'm a little older, and I can look back, and I can have a little different perspective. 
And I can begin to kind of process all of this and, and my dad saying no. And, and so I look back and I think, what, what do I think about the fact that my dad said no? Like what, now as I look back, what do I think about that, that wisdom? And it's unequivocally, I wish I had a go-kart still. I mean, that's that, that's that reality. There's no perspective that has changed on that hope. Um, and, and in this, this reality of the no that your heart is set upon, this is, this is a big deal. And when you begin to have something that your heart is set upon that you deeply want, that you feel like um, is something that is key to you experiencing joy and happiness in your life, and you go to your heavenly father and you begin to say, hey, God, this is what I desire. This is what I hope. This is what I I want. And you hear a no to that. We need to deal with that today. We need to walk into that reality today because here's, here's the thing. When you begin to say, how do you have a radical white hot faith? How do you have a confidence in God when there's the moment where God could say yes to whatever it is that you think is going to be the thing that you need, and he says no? What happens with that? Because how you answer that question, what you believe about God is radically important to the life you will live. Because if you begin to understand this concept and you understand it in a way where the no's that God gives you, the, the, I'm not going to answer that in a way, if that begins to erode your faith, that begins to be something that will forever be a disappointment in your life. And so today I want to get into uh, really looking at uh, scripture and, and looking at the Bible and, and really peering into a specific individual. And, and, and I picked uh, someone who I, I think helps us to be able to understand what God is doing when God says no, and ultimately helps us to understand how we navigate this in terms of our faith. And the guy that we're going to be looking at is a guy named Saul who turned into a guy named Paul. And his story is incredible. Our, our church uh, really understands uh, this idea that, um, that we are to live out on mission and that we believe that God sent his son in order to redeem us and also therefore sending us into the world to redeem the world. And that's kind of the mode by which we operate. But when we begin to think about the clarity of that and we begin to think about what happened and how our Heavenly Father sent His Son in order to form a sent people, we begin to look at a guy named Paul, and he is at the very center of that culture that's being built. And really what I would say is the catalyst for the movement of Christianity that has swept across the globe and has changed all of human history. And when we begin to think about the kind of people that God used to change human history, and the kind of people, Paul is one of those people that is at the very core of that. that. That Paul is this guy who who started off and he was this this Jewish guy he was a pharisee which meant he was like really smart and tethered to like this way of um, living that was really really strict and he began to see this this cult of christianity begin to come into into Judaism and what he began to say is i'm going to leverage my life to eradicate this thing and what we begin to see is the story of paul begins as one where he's murdering christians where he's organizing the persecution of the church where he's trying to destroy these people who believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, one day, what happens is he gets knocked off a horse, and that in that moment, it, it, God kind of captures his attention, and he sends him to one of these believers, a guy named Barnabas. 
And in that, as he begins to uh, kind of be connected in this, he begins to have these relationships with these apostles, the relationships with these believers, and he begins to recognize there is something that happened. And this something that happened is not just a different belief system of this cult. There's something that happened, and that is the uh, is Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying and resurrecting. And what happens is in a 180 degree turn, instead of persecuting the church, he becomes the main, he becomes the main advocate for the church. He becomes the most prolific church planter the world has ever known. He writes these letters and these letters um, are, are what forms our scripture. And these are inspired by God to help us to be able to understand how we are to live our life. And this is, this is Paul. And he is a guy who ultimately loses his life because of his faith. And what we see is this fascinating moment. And we begin to think about this giant of a, of a man, this, this backbone of Christianity, this guy who was just incredible when it comes to the kind of faith that he had, that maybe nobody had a more significant faith than Paul. And in 2 Corinthians, we get to see a moment where Paul begins to kind of open the book to his life. And we get to peer into his personal life. And we get to kind of take an an insider look at how Paul's faith was forged and how he began to see his life. And when we do, it gives us an understanding of how God works. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we get to see um, Paul, and we get to see this moment. And, and, and I want you to get this, that we see Paul and his amazing responsibility to take the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and spread it across uh, really the known world at that time. And, and so what happens is, is God comes to Paul and says, Paul, basically, you're going to become extraordinarily popular and well-known, and you're going to have such a massive impact upon the world that I need to make sure that you don't become arrogant and proud because a lot is resting upon your dependency and your confidence in me. So here's what happened. God sends to Paul, God gives Paul an affliction to make sure that he would never become proud, that he would never become arrogant, that no matter how great things got, that Paul would never believe that it was all about him. This is what Jesus does. And so here's where we get to see this. And so we're going to get into um, chapter, chapter 12, verse 7. And we're going to get to kind of get into the story. And we're going to hear Paul kind of open up and reveal the secret of how he has this kind of faith. And it says this. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Like this is kind of mind blowing. And if this is like your first time to church and you begin to say, this is what God's doing, um, just sit tight for a minute because we're going to understand this. But, but it sounds kind of crazy. So when we look at this, you have to understand this. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And now what you need to know is that this wasn't just that Paul couldn't figure out how to use tweezers. Like this idea of the thorn in his flesh wasn't about something that was actually I'd brushed by this bush and I can't get this thing out. It's super infected. And it's really a pain. You know, this is not what he's talking about. There's this reality that God has given him something. And the, and the kind of the metaphor is this thorn in his flesh. And so we don't know what this is. And there's been people that have all throughout history tried to figure out what was Paul's thorn. And some people said, hey, he might have been epileptic, like that he had these seizures. And all of a sudden he's like, he's, he's, he's talking in front of this group of people and he has these seizures and he kind of embarrasses himself. And it's like, it's kind of hard to watch Paul kind of get into this context. Or other people say, 
maybe it was this eye issue. So we see in books where Paul says, you know, I'm writing very, very large in this because I have really bad eyes. And it might be that he had this weird, like goopy, weird thing that, you know, uh, you know, so you look at Paul's eyes and you're like, I'd rather not just send me the letters, Paul. You know, this is kind of uh, weird. Um, and, and so there's just something about Paul that when you got around him, and you began to understand this is the legend of Paul, right? This is, this is Paul, the, this, this incredible church plant. You begin to think, that guy? This, the, the guy with the, the, with the goopy eye thing? You know, the, this guy? And it was something that was so significant that what we begin to see is this, this next piece to this. It says in verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away. Now, I need you to understand that that wasn't like I prayed once, and then I prayed one more time, and then I prayed three times, right? This was like seasons of his life where he began to say, Hey, God, this, this thing, whatever it is, this, this affliction, it's really difficult for me to go into context and be taken seriously. It's really difficult for me to be able to go into this and for people to like, man, that's Paul. We need to give him some, you know, give him some respect in this. There's something in this that's making this really difficult. And he goes to, to, to God over and over. He goes three different times. He spends three different seasons praying uh, and asking God to remove this thing, whatever it was, whatever that thing was. And what we have to understand understand here is that it took three times and, and ultimately what we're going to see in just a minute is he gets an answer as to why but even in this that there was a period where he begins to have this thing that he that, that's a part of his life and he's praying and he has no answer to this and and so I want you to get this is this is the Apostle Paul. Like, there's, there might be no one with more significant faith than this guy. And he's going to God, and he's praying, and God seemingly is silent on this. That, that God is seemingly not answering his prayer, not answering it in the way that he wants. And I need us to get this, that oftentimes... What we do is when we pray to God and we either we don't get the answer that we want or we don't feel like God is answering at all, we mistake God's silence for his absence. That we mistake his silence for his absence. That we believe that somehow that God isn't around if he's not answering our prayer in the way that we want. And then sometimes we think this. There's this lie that's pervasive throughout, uh, throughout Christianity. And the lie is this. That if you have enough faith for something that somehow God has to operate and acquiesce to your desire. Like if you kind of build up this faith at some point that God has to answer in the affirmative. And so you're trying to figure out how to muscle your faith. Like, okay, I, I just need to figure out how to get more faith and I need to do all this. And I need to say uh, this, the combination of like going to church and not sinning a lot and, and, and telling people like, what is it, whatever it is that you think, Hey, this is the combination. You're searching for that thing in order for you to get God's attention to answer the prayer that you got, that, that you're praying. I want you to get, there might not have been anybody who had more faith or more favor than Paul. And yet when it comes to one of the most significant requests of his life to remove the affliction, what we hear is silence. We, we, God kind of goes dark on answering that specific thing. And, and I want you to get that this is, this is really really significant because what we get to see is that at some point God leans in and he begins to just answer this 
in a really, really significant way. And, and what you believe about this next verse really sets you on one of two different paths. And here's the verse. Chapter, chapter 12, verse 9, it says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you want something to put upon your mirror, if you want something to put on your dash in your car, if you want something to write on the, on the lock screen of your phone, and you need something to help you to understand how you forge a faith that creates an extraordinary, extraordinary depth in your life, it's this, it's this verse, for my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That if you get this, if you fully understand this verse, the kind of depth and the kind of foundation that you will have in your life will be unlike most people that you're around. That you will be an outlier. And let me, let me say, not only this, that, that you'll be extraordinary to others, that this is what completely tethers you. This is what allows you to have joy in difficult circumstances. This is what allows you to be able to look at life and to be able to take and not have confusion, but have clarity, not have in, insecurity, but to be able to operate with a deep level of confidence. That if you can say in this, that in these things and everything, that my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. This this changes everything. Because here's the two things. When you begin to understand who God is, and when you pray and when you present, and I, and I, and I believe we should be presenting God and saying, hey, God, now I, I want to go to you. you. You are the sovereign one. You are the one who has this all worked out. You're the one who can do something about this. And here's what I'm asking you to do. And when he doesn't answer or says no to your request, here's what Here's basically the two things that happen. Here's the two, um, basically the two things. One, you will get new circumstances that either God will give you and, and say yes to your prayer and you will get new circumstances. And we see this all throughout that, that people went to God and say, God, will you do something about this? And God did something that changed their circumstances. God did something that changed this reality. And I believe that God does this. And I believe that oftentimes God waits upon us to recognize his power to change our circumstances and to put us into the posture of being able to say, God, only you could do this. And I'm asking for you to do something. And so God will change your circumstances. But sometimes God won't change your circumstance. And when God doesn't change your circumstance, when you want him to do this, when you want this thing to work out, this, this situation, when you want him to ask you out, when you want this major to work out, when you want this internship, when you want this job, when you want this thing, this relationship to work, and it doesn't seem like it is, and God doesn't seem like he's showing up, here's what you get. It's not silence. It's not just nothing. What you get, here's what it says, you get his grace. And what his grace does is allows you to, be, to, to experience his sufficiency. It allows you to understand that you are there and you get what it takes to endure through your circumstance. And he might be saying no, but you are going to receive his ability, his grace to endure through the difficulty. Now, you might seem like that's not a big deal, but I want you to understand that Jesus came to this earth, he died and he rose again, particularly so that you could have access to the grace of God 
that forges your faith. And that if God is in the business of forging faith to, to help create extraordinary humans that do extraordinary things, then the most significant thing is not necessarily the change of your circumstance, but the ability to allow you to have access to his grace that allows you to endure. That's the stake that goes down because in every moment, what he's doing in this is he's creating, and I could use the word identity capital, that he's using, he's creating something in you, this identity capital. And it might be the most significant thing uh, about you. He's creating the personhood that you are. He's creating the character of your life. He's creating your capacity to do something significant. He's creating, it's, it's like, it's like when you lift weights, right? The resistance of this forges your muscles, right? Create something that makes you strong. That if God is saying yes to everything in your life, that, that if everything, either you are God, you know, or you think that you're God, or God has a better plan for your life and he's forging something in preparation for your future. And so for many of you who are young, your future is ahead of you. And if God is saying no, there's something that you may not ever know. And you'll look back and you'll begin to say, absolutely so glad that God said no to that because that forged something in my life that created the faith that I needed to do something that I could have never done if yes were the answer to this prayer. This is the beauty of what God is doing. And this is the incredible nature of how God is working, that you get access to either new circumstances or you get access to the depth of his grace in your life. And so you can say one thing, God, you can shake your fist and say, God, why didn't you give me what I wanted? Or you can say, God, I, I receive this no, but I need your grace. And the great thing is, again, we, we looked at this Hebrews passage, Hebrews 4, um, last week. And if you continue to read this, he says, here, here's the reality, that um, in, in this, that, that, that you, that our heavenly father, like that our, our great high priest has been tempted in every way, and, and that you would receive, you will receive grace and mercy in your time of need. The promise of God is not that you get isolated, that no creates isolation, that no creates absence, but in the no, in the not yet, in the not right now, what it begins to do is draw you in and be able to help you to understand your deep dependency upon God. I want you to get that God's not out to help forge himself to become this cosmic Santa Claus that's just doling out, hey, you want to do this, you don't like, that's that Bruce Almighty kind of moment of where understanding God, if you've ever seen that movie, you know, he's like, yes, 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 this is getting crazy. Um, but it's this place where he begins to forge your dependency upon him. And so we see this reality that sometimes God gives us new circumstances, but every time God gives us access to his grace to endure. He gives us his grace to endure. And so he goes down, he says this, not only do you get grace in this, he says, but my power is made perfect in weakness. This is, this is incredible because here's the moment that what happens is when you begin to walk into the not yet, not right now, no answer to your question, instead of eroding your faith, you have an opportunity for God to create something that is magnificent because in the moment of your weakness, in the moment of the difficulty, in the moment of all of these things, what you begin to have is the potential for God to show up in a significant way, for God to be 
be able to walk into this place where he reveals himself, where you begin to see, man, this, could, this is only God, that, that we don't look at this and say, well, man, that was just your talent and, and God made you strong and your strength was demonstrated and, and man, what a great thing. But the most incredible things in this world is where you can look and say, hey, I didn't do, have anything to do with that. In fact, that was my weakest state. And when God did something in that, it was extraordinary and it was very real and it was very tangible and I can understand how I can have confidence in God because I know it wasn't anything to do with me. And so God shows up in your weakness. That, that in the breakup, when you should have been devastated, that all of a sudden you begin to recognize you have more power than you've ever had, that you have confidence, that that, that thing that you shouldn't have, that all your friends look and say, how is it that she's handling this so well? And you begin to say, hey, hey, it's not me. And in that moment, you begin to recognize the breakup has allowed you to have a dependency upon God and your faith is stronger than ever before. And you begin to rec- recognize I'm never alone in this because I'm being fueled by the grace of God. His power is being revealed in me that, that she says, hey, I don't like you anymore. I, I don't want to go out with you anymore. Hey, the the relationship is off and you, instead of crumbling, have this foundation of faith and your foundation of faith is built upon something and all of a sudden you can begin to realize, hey, my hope is in a savior, not a girl. My hope is in a savior, not a job. My hope is in a savior and not this opportunity. And you begin to recognize it's even strange to you. And you begin to say, wow, this is something that in my weakness, I'm experiencing the strength that no one else is experiencing, that that I'm not in this place of being just absolutely heartbroken, but I begin to realize something is there that's ultimately supporting me, and that is God's grace. And you begin to see this thing, or you begin to, to make choices, and they seem to be crazy choices that you make missional choices with your life, that you begin to point your life in it, and everyone around seems like, oh, that's so sacrificial. Why would you do that? Oh, and no one understands it, and you begin to recognize, hey, this is not me being great. This is God at work in me. This is the strength of God being displayed, that all of a sudden God begins to use you in ways, and everybody's like, that guy doing that thing, that girl this, it has the capacity to do that thing, and you can begin to say, hey, this is, this is not me. This is my weakness, but all of a sudden God is using me in a significant way. This is the stories that I love. And by the way, this is the story of our church. I I believe that we are in no way uh, deserving of what God has done, but God has said, I'm going to do this. And we're open to that. And so here's what he says. He says, I want you to live with extraordinary dependency, that God is after your dependency more than anything else. Do, Do you get that? That God is trying to forge within you a place where you find your identity in him and where you find your power in him. Now, how does he do that? It's not by saying yes every time. It's by you understanding, hey, God is forging something that ultimately will build identity capital in crazy amounts that my identity and who I am, that there'll be such a deep possession of that stuff that I'm just radically different than anything else than I have been in the past because God is forging this. And here's what he says, the end of verse nine. He says, therefore, here's what he says, in light of this reality, that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness, here's the behavior that Paul says. Therefore, here's what I'm going to do. I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Now, that is something that our culture has no clue about. 
we never see the rap artist that begins to say, hey, I'd love to tell you about what I suck at. Like this is my album is, is all the things that I'm really bad at, right? Let me reveal to you my personal um, issues and my financial issues. Like we never see that. It is the, let me puff it up. Let, but he says this, I, it flips the script. And when God is in control of this, he's like this, I will boast about my weaknesses. Here's why. Now that seems crazy that we'd say, hey, you know what I'm, what I'm wanting to share most about? The thing that I want people to know about me is the weaknesses. We don't ever want to say that, but here's why. It's so that Christ's power may reside in me. I hope that's what you want. I hope, my, here's my, my deep prayer for you, is that at some point, the most significant thing that you'll ask is that God, that Christ's power will reside in you. Not for the pleasure to be had, not for you to be, all the pressures to be eliminated, not for that thing to work out or that opportunity to be made done, but you'd begin to say, hey, my desire is that God's power that Christ's power resides in me. So here's what it says. So here's what I do. I take pleasure, it sounds crazy, in weakness, in insults, in catastrophe, in persecutions, and in pressure because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what he says. For when I am weak, then I am I'm strong. This is stuff. Highlight this. Write this down in your Bible. Because this is the kind of stuff that forges extraordinary people. That for you to begin to understand, hey, I'm praying prayers to make myself stronger, for this thing to work out. But God is looking upon my life and his story, his hope for my life is so much more significant. That his hope for my life is so much bigger, that he's trying to create in my life this radical dependency upon him so that, he, that I understand and have this depth of faith that my confidence rests in him, that my confidence is in what he has. And so here's what we get to see, that God doesn't want you to rely upon your own strength. What he wants to do is he wants to fill your life with his strength. God, help me, to, help me to get more strength so I can overcome this. No, help me to understand my weakness so that you can overcome this. This is the key thing, that when I am weak, then I am most dependent. So here's this reality, that your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity to reveal himself. That your greatest weakness is God's greatest opportunity to reveal himself. I know that that feels counterintuitive, for you to understand this and for you to be able to get this. But I want you to understand this. This is where you might see God show up in a significant way. If you will trust him, if you'll be able to say, man, I need your grace. Because here's what he's going to do. God has opted for dependence rather than healing sometimes. And in this, here's what he's going to help you to understand. That, that you become a person of deep and abiding faith. That you become a person that, that has this as the characteristic of your life. And you might say, well, wouldn't it be easier if really I just 
had all of these prayers answered and I began to say to God, hey God, I have such deep confidence in who you are because you've always answered all of my prayers. And so as I look to the future, I can begin to make sure that I know that you are going to be the answer to the prayer because you always have been in the past. And that seems like that would make sense. But the way that we actually function and the way that our behavior is formed is not through the yeses, but through the noes that we endure from. Let me give you a stupid example. I, uh, I was in Texas a, a few weeks ago, or back in June, and, uh, and I got a speeding ticket. And so I'm in Dallas, and I'm speeding, and I get pulled over, and, and I go through all the whole, the whole thing, and um, I'm hoping that, you know, Washington driver's license getting me out, but there was no discussion about this. That was, that was on the side of the road getting a ticket. And so there I am, I have to go home, tell my wife, hey, I got a ticket, first time in like 12 years. But this is uh, this reality. So I'm back in Texas a couple weeks ago. And I'm pulling out of a, uh, of a Mexican restaurant because whenever I'm in Texas, I eat as much Mexican food as I can because it's great. So I'm pulling out and, uh, and there's this six lane uh, road that I'm pulling out onto. And, and I think that I can get on the other side because I'm going this way. So I have to, to, to go over this uh, road, go, go through this road to be able to get this way. So I begin to pull out and then I begin to realize, and I don't know if you've ever done this before, you begin to pull out and you realize I can't get across. There's a barrier. There is a median there. And so I have two options. I can either turn and go with traffic and have to go around and come back, or this median ends in just a few hundred yards. I could go the opposite way on the road and then just try to get back into my lane and get over. And so I, of course, chose the latter. I look to the left and there's no, there's no cars that are coming on this three lane road. And so I make a left and I begin to go um, the wrong way on a three lane highway. All of a sudden what happens is lights come over the hill and I begin to recognize now we're playing chicken. Like now we are in a place where we're headed at each other and I floor it. I'm in a minivan. So I floor this minivan and peel out and, and I'm going and we're, I'm just, it, it, it was something I'm I like, all of a sudden I'm accelerating at this car, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, I dive over and get into my lane. I'm like, phew, that was close. But the car that came over the hill was an Angelina County Sheriff. And, uh, and so all of a sudden, my night was not over. In fact, it got more exciting. And so that was this moment where I began to do what like you might do and faced with extraordinarily difficult circumstances that you created on your own. We begin to go to God, right? We began to say, God, I need your deliverance in this moment. <laughs> God, I, I'll do whatever it takes. What, whatever I need to do, I'll do. God, we will plant 22 churches by the year 21 if we need to. If you will, because now this, this moment, I tell you all that because I believe I'm a wanted man in Texas. I've, I've <laughs> violated the law and now I've played chicken with a sheriff and this is not going to go well. And my seven-year-old is in the back saying, Daddy, are you gonna go to jail? <laughs> and I wish I could say, absolutely not but I'd never want to lie. And I'm like, dad will know. <laughs> I may not be coming home tonight with you guys. You might have to, we might have to put our hands on the glass, right? Dad. Um, anyway, so this is this, this moment. Um, and I began to recognize, you know, my, the fierce, my, my prayers are just, I'm just so in the zone. God, please get me out of this. I need, I need your help. 
So I pull around, I pull over, and, and the guy gets out, and he wants to know. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in my parents' minivan uh, with a Washington driver's license, and so I don't know where any of the information is, so I'm in this thing. And so uh, he comes back and, and, and says, hey, I'm just going to give you a warning. And, uh, and, and I mean, just the adrenaline, just like the whole, you know, you've been in those moments, right, where it was a high-stress situation, and all of a sudden, you get off. And, uh, and it's just radical, like, I'm just like, Oh, oh that, that's great. That's great. I go back. N- uh, no joke. I'm, I'm going back to my in-laws house and I'm telling the story and immediately I'm telling this, the whole thing. You would have never believed this happened. I pulled this out, but you know what I did not say? I did not walk in and start with the story is I've got an answer to prayer that I have had. I've been delivered by the Holy one, right? Um, <laughs> that the intervention on God himself in the Angelina County Sheriff's office extracted me from this situation. And I want you to get this. I know that that's silly, but you've had the moment, right? Where you created your own circumstance, right? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure w- how this is going to turn out. I'm not sure if she's going to find the thing or I- I'm not sure if, if this thing is, if the, if the test is going to turn out positive or negative. I, I, I've, I've messed up and I need to get out. Here's the reality. Oftentimes, when things turn out, when we get the answer to our prayers, it doesn't bring us into a place where we're like, hey, first thing is I need to say thank you to, to God. Now, I'm going into, you know, I'm going to plant a church now. You did such a crazy thing, God. Um, we begin to immediately believe in the moment where we have deep dependency and, and, and things work out that we begin to pray and they work out, oftentimes our hearts get deeply forgetful. It doesn't actually change our lifestyle. It doesn't actually change our behavior. But here's what changes our behavior. When we have to sit in a difficult circumstance and we have to, in dependency, rely upon God, here's what, where's, here's what happens. It's those kind of people that begin to have their very fabric of their life and the depth of their faith forged in an incredible way. Here's what God is doing. He's not after trying just to be Santa Claus to you. He's trying to be your heavenly father. He's trying to be someone who forges your faith, someone who creates in you the depth of human that allows him to work through you to, be, to do significant things. And, and here's what we believe in our church is that God wants to use you for his mission and his glory and to do significant things. And so what he does is he forges and deepens your faith. And it's always through his weaknesses or through our weaknesses that he's made strong. And we have to understand that this is the story of how God works throughout the whole Bible. If you go back and, and you begin to look through the stories of the Bible, you're going to hear stories and you're going to watch stories like Gideon who has all these troops and they're going to take over this thing and God says, nope, 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 all the way down to 300 people. And there's this massive army and he sends 300 people out there. Why? To prove that God was the one with the power, that God was the one that's going to get the glory. You have this group of people and they go into the promised land and there's these and fortified cities, but God has already said, hey, I'm going to work for you to have the city. And they they don't know how this is going to happen. And so he tells them ridiculous things like, hey, take your horns, your trumpets and toot some songs and walk around the, the outside of the walls. And all of a sudden, here's, I'm going to give you the city. And so they do it. And it's this crazy thing. And all of a sudden the walls come tumbling down because the trumpets were played and they walked around the city. It's clear that God was at work. We begin to see this, um, this teenager called David go after this nine foot t- giant called Goliath. And he, he wrecks Goliath, he kills Goliath, right? It's this un- improbable 
unstoppable thing that reveals that this is God who uses weakness to show his strength. And we get to Jesus, who is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is, he is saying, I'm looking at what is ahead, and I'm asking God, God, will you take this cup from me? God, will you extract me from this circumstance? And here's what God says, no. I'm not going to do it. I've sent you. You are my only son, and I've sent you to earth. Jesus asked for this to be removed. And what we see as Jesus the next day is arrested, or that very night is arrested, what we see is that over and over, Jesus has this posture of weakness that he is, he is beaten, he is whipped, he is falsely accused, and he is silent. In all of this, what is the most clear reverberating thing that we get to see is God, in that weakness, his power was radically revealed. And so we see the resurrection of Jesus. We see the most potent form of power to overcome death. But we see this through the process of weakness. And we see this through this process that our faith is built on resolute no's, that we hold tightly, not just saying, God, I'll have faith if you give me a yes. And here's what God wants to form in you. And here's what God wants to do, that God's power is made perfect through weakness. So today, as you hear this, I want you to get the opportunity that you have is for you to go to God with prayers but not believe that if he says no or not yet or I'm not going to answer, that that changes anything with your faith. That you have an opportunity that in the midst of that, a bigger opportunity than a yes, is you have the opportunity to have your faith forged, to have the reliance upon your grace, upon his grace created, that you have an opportunity to see God's power revealed in a significant way. It is a win-win. Your circumstances change change or your grace or your, or your faith gets deepened. And so here's what I want us to do. I, I want for you to really dive into this because I think all of us here have a place where maybe we're hoping God shows up and we're praying that God shows up. But I would say in many of your lives, there's a place right now where you need God's grace. There's a place right now where you need to have your faith strengthened and you need to have your faith deepened. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite up your site pastor and he's just going to ask you, hey, would you respond publicly? And here's what we do. We do this and so that we begin to say, hey, publicly we're going to say this and so it makes sense to our hearts. So I want to turn it over to your site pastor and let him walk you through this next little bit. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.